Women Making Waves. Don't you think that the price of fuel is appalling? Oh, yeah. It's, it, it brings tears to my eyes every time I yeah, go no. past thinking. It's just extraordinarily expensive. I was it? excited when I filled up my tank that I managed to get something that was under, and it was only a fraction of a pence under, 150. But this was 149 point something or other. Wow. Well, I would not announce, Linda, where your station was. Because no, I'm keeping that yes, to myself. It's I under would. wraps. Yes. My really, yes. really cheap petrol station. I would definitely keep it under wraps because you might find that uh, everyone's going to come to your place mm. and literally have a queue and then you'll have no no petrol left. In fact, I queued once to get some petrol. I had to go to my mum-in-law's the next day and I had to queue and I text Simon and said, I'm in the queue now. I shouldn't be long. Well, an hour and a half later. I was. I mean, actually, that's not too bad. People have been queuing for a long time, haven't well, they? And that's just normal times. That wasn't during the, the shortage of fuel. No, it was. It was during the shortage. I mean, so that's oh. not too bad. But anyway, it's time I didn't really want to be in sitting in a car. But anyway. Well, you've got to utilise that time well, haven't yes. you? Yes, you It's have. your thinking time. Yes. Your you time, Susie. Yes, you, my you. It's your time to be you. So rather than sitting there rapping on the steering wheel as I'm sure you were actually doing and uh-huh. feeling really frustrated and getting all wound up mm. you should just have been deep breathing and thinking pleasant up. thoughts no 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 I wasn't wound up not I... what you were going to do to the car in front that no, kind of thing no no I wouldn't do that but I tell you what I did learn something from a friend of mine a couple of years ago this is before pandemic I think she had about five or six children I can't remember how many I think she had a lot of children so she had two or three different schools that she was driving around picking up and collecting and she would get to the first school to pick her first child up and she would get there an hour before pickup and it was about Christmas time and I knocked on her window because I'd just come out I think I don't know what I was doing at the school but I was there an hour before myself and I realized that she'd taken a whole Christmas admin basket and was doing all Christmas cards in the car well there you go yeah that's cool. Isn't you it? See, that is time well spent, mm. and you kind of forced to do something like that because you'd be really bored otherwise. So you, you could listen to podcasts mm-hmm. like ours. Yes, you could um, <laughs> read your book. I mean, just suppose sitting in traffic's not quite so easy. But if you're just sitting there at the side and you're parked, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Exactly. I, a Kindle at all times. That's what you need in your bag. Yes. Do you have a Kindle then? I do. Yeah. Oh, I say. Oh yeah. Actually, it sits by my bedside, and I always read when I go to bed at night. And um, I find there's nothing quicker to get me off to sleep, no matter how exciting the book is, because it just seems to be, I don't know, it seems to do something to my eyes. And they start slamming shut. So it's, it's, you know, it's better than a sleeping tablet. So I mean, I wouldn't want to take them. No, no, absolutely. So Linda, let's talk about the Queen's Platinum Jubilee year this year. Are you in your road? Are you going to have a street party this year? Yes, I believe so. The lady Mm. up the road who always organises the street parties has already put notes through the door that was a kind of save the date and we're having a street party and let me know if you want to help. And I haven't actually got in touch with her yet. But another neighbour was saying last night that she'd been in touch and that she'd been so grateful that somebody else was going to help her. And I said, oh, oh, well, I'll, I'll help her. I just haven't let her know. And she went, I think you need to let her know so she can relax a bit. So I suppose at some point I'll, I'll let her know. If she's listening, you know, if she's listening to this, she'll know that I'm, I'm going, yeah. to, going to help You're out. Going- Good. I'll probably buy some stuff out of the supermarket. You know, I can't yeah. can't imagine risking. They all bake things, you see, in the lane. They all make oh, and bake things, right, which right. is really, really awkward. It's not that I can't. No. It's just that I don't want to be judged. 
No, I know what you mean. I do mm. understand what you're saying there. It's a bit of a competition. Yeah. It's like the Bake Off, the, the Lane Bake Off. Everyone trying to outdo each other in, you know, and how tall their cakes are and how fancy they are yeah Mm -hmm. so we're gonna do one just like you but what we did last time 10 years ago in 2012 we just asked everybody to bring their own food and their tables and chairs and whoever couldn't we would try and help so that's how we look at it because i sort of get the impression that you know most people can bring a sandwich or bring something to the table that's much better yeah that's that's not going to be in the cards in our lane that Uh, will not be allowed uh, it'll all be you know big Anyway, and and, and nice nice to share, of course. Nice to get some nice food for a change, I suppose. Well, that's true. That's very true. I mean, I suppose you could have a a main table of a sharing table and then people could bring their own stuff. Do you remember the street party or remember that day 10 years ago? I remember, and it absolutely chucked it down with rain. Vaguely. Mm, True grit, true British form or true United Kingdom form, whatever you like to say. We just stick it out, don't we? we oh, that's right. I do on. remember it. Yep. I do remember it now because yep. we were all undercover. That's, right. that's and, right. And we'd spent the night before putting lots of bunting up across the lane. That's yes. it. Yes, that was quite good fun, actually. <laughs> and we were all huddled <laughs> under tents. We got these, uh, you know, the, these, the what do you call them, the open-sided gazebos. Yeah. 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 Uh, and we had to keep emptying the water off them because that's they were accumulating oh, yeah. so much water. And we had a big brazier. And, of course, everyone was quite cold <laughs> and trying to get close to it. And then you were stinking of smoke from the brazier for the next few days. But... There was lots of camaraderie, wasn't it? I just thought it was really nice. Oh, yeah, Everybody yeah, yeah. was smiling. Lots, lots of drinking photos. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was good. as well. But yeah, yeah so it was fun. In fact, n- neighbours from another street came along, you oh. know, when they got wind. Right. Oh, yeah, they came along as well. Yeah. They were asking last week if they could come to this one. They're not having their own then. Their street doesn't tend to, you know, do that kind of thing. So you are no. the, the They're not that road. kind of street and we do that kind of thing. Oh, right. Well, there you go. That's because well, we've got somebody be... who organises it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really nice, you know, when our shows go out and people get in touch with us, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, that happens sometimes and it's great. It's great to get texts and emails from listeners. So if you do have anything to say to us, please do get in touch. You can, uh, you can email us uh, during the show and it comes to us to Cambridge 105 Radio but you can also email us directly as well and that's womenmwpodcast at gmail.com so if you do want to get in touch that is a way of getting and you get in touch with that email address anytime you like it doesn't have to be within the the boundaries of when a show is being broadcast should we talk about our guest that we've today? yeah we've got a fantastic guest in with us today actually we've got Dorothy Byrne now I don't know if you've heard of Dorothy you you, you may well have very well known and she's now president of Murray Edwards College and she was an absolute hoot when we spoke to her and she covered so many topics as well we had a really great conversation and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to Dorothy I've listened to this interview several times and I still really enjoy hearing it You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Dorothy Byrne is the current president of Murray Edwards College at Cambridge University. And Dorothy was appointed head of news and current affairs at Channel 4 in 2003. 
And during her 17 years in the post of Channel 4 News and Current Affairs programmes, they won an incredible amount of awards. Now, Dorothy is also the former World in Action producer and editor of ITV's The Big Story and was made a Fellow of the Royal Television Society for her outstanding contribution to television. She has also won the Factual Award given by women in film and television and has written a book called Me, I'm Not a Politician, A Simple Guide to Saving Democracy in 2019. Welcome, Dorothy, to Women Making Waves. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for inviting me. Now, I think I've only just scratched the surface, Dorothy, and all your achievements in that introduction. And of course, we would definitely want to say congratulations on becoming the president of Murray Edwards College. It's a Indeed. fantastic, amazing. Well, I, it's amazing being president, isn't it? It's yeah. absolutely terrific. But I'm not planning to invade anybody else's countries or make trouble internationally. You know, Cambridge has got these traditions, which I find a bit strange and different. Having been born in Paisley, we don't have traditions like that. Uh, When I go to eat at formal dinners and there's a gong, and when I arrived, I said, what's that gong for? And they said... That is to announce you. So when I am about to enter the room, a gong is hit. And then I troop in with the other fellows behind me wearing a strange black cloak left over from a Hogwarts set. (laughs) And then I say, Benedictus Benedicta. And only then can people eat. And one night I fell asleep. Partly, I had been given slightly the wrong time for the meal. And my assistant rang me and woke me up and said, quick, get there, because they're all there and nobody can eat until you arrive. So that is something, you know, strange and different. But actually, I love the idea that there is still a college for women somewhere in the UK. And I think there is still... Uh, a strong role for a community where young women can live and be supported and have some of their personal tuition, while at the same time going to the university, mixing with men. It's not like being in a convent. And also here, we have the biggest women's art collection in Europe. So it's a great but slightly strange place to be. Was it a job that you ever saw yourself doing? Uh, Being a president. Well, funnily enough, you know, Boris Johnson wanted to be king of the world. (laughs) And um, I never had the desire to run everything, which maybe means I'll do it well, because I don't think Boris Johnson is running Britain very well. Thank goodness he didn't become king of the whole world. That would have been an absolute catastrophe. No, I never had any thought in my life when I was a little girl in Paisley that one day I would be a president with my own gong. (laughs) I heard somewhere, now this is a really extraordinary story, and it's something that I wish had happened to me, but maybe it's a bit weird I say that, but I hear that when you were a teenager, you attended a Catholic school in Blackpool, and you won the English-speaking school's national debating competition. 
but the nuns in your school didn't feel that they were qualified to help you win this competition. So they brought in a man from the Christian Brothers School up the road. And you were taught, is this right, to stand on a table and just speak and speak and speak what you wanted to talk about, your debate. And he literally shouted abusive comments at you. That is absolutely true. And I think it's fair to say it wouldn't happen today, (laughs) especially in view of the fact he came from a Christian Brothers school and what we now know about Christian Brothers. However, he wasn't a Christian brother. He was a civvy and he was a very nice man. And he came in and he seemed really nice and he said, I'd won the regional debating competition and the nuns thought that I had the wherewithal to win the national debating competition. But, you know, I needed a bit of training from a man. And the convent in this room had a great big old Victorian table that I had to stand on. So there is the first breach of health and safety, isn't it? (laughs) Standing on a table that nobody had checked. And then he stood below me and he would give me a subject. And then, you know, I can't remember what the first subject was that he gave me, but he said, just speak. And then as I began speaking, I can't repeat the words he used they were so terrible but they involved f and b (laughs) i stopped i was so absolutely shocked and he said don't stop don't stop you have to carry on talking you have to carry on talking it doesn't matter how rude i am and it doesn't matter how rude anybody is you've got to keep going and you've got to carry on talking and i did indeed beat lots of top boys public schools and win but also it stood me in good stead in work when you know men and there literally one day when I was the editor of the big story on ITV a man used almost the exact same phrase that this teacher had used when I was 16 and a half which was F of you stupid little B. And obviously he expected me to be totally shocked. And I said, you can't do anything to me. I'm trained to deal with men like you. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah, that is fantastic. But I've got to say for the nuns, although academically this school wasn't amazing, look at the imagination that those women showed in encouraging a young woman. And I think that is a really important thing in education that everybody needs at school, somebody, you know, often people who succeed will say there was a particular teacher who helped and supported them. Well, I had a whole order of nuns. You're right. We've had a lot of women on this very program who've said exactly that. There's been this teacher or someone along the way has inspired them, really. And and I guess that's exactly what happened to you. So so you went on to university after that, did you, after you left the school? but, But actually, I would always have gone to university because my grandmother went to university, which was very unusual. And my grandmother and her sister 
were two of the very first women allowed to graduate from Aberdeen University wow. at the turn of the last century, which just shows how advanced Scotland is because mm. Cambridge didn't allow women to get degrees until 1948. Yeah. Thinking seriously about it, you know, one reason I've come here is that I genuinely believe Cambridge wants to change itself and reach out to people from less advantaged backgrounds and people from ethnic minorities and say to them, you know, you are welcome here. And Cambridge does do outreach work to schools. And I've been to a couple of schools already and other universities do outreach work. But I think a really big thing that we've got to think about in this country is how can we all work together, every higher education institution, to spot and encourage talented young people. Actually, I think you need to do it earlier than 17 or 16, really, you know, much earlier on. And it would be great if we could involve everybody in mentoring much younger children to show that we care about them and encourage them and dare them and challenge them to go on, you can apply to a really good university. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this college now, 74% of young people come from state schools and about a third of the students are from ethnic minorities. But we need to work together to get that as high as we possibly can so that this university represents the population of the country that supports it. Yeah. There was an article recently in one of the national newspapers, and the title was Dorothy Byrne, How Is It Feminist to Teach Women Only to Avoid Getting Pregnant? Now, I nearly didn't get that title because I read it as why is it just the women we are trying to get to uh, learn yeah, about fertility? Not a good headline, was it? No, it was. It was a terrible headline, but it made me think that actually we need to talk to men and women about women's issues. Definitely. You know, the idea that girls at school are taken into another room and told one story and then, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure it's different in schools now, but, you know, in the past, there used to be separate lessons. Well, on the whole, they're going to end up doing something together. Exactly. It would be a good idea to teach them together. Yeah. Am I allowed to say that you are a role model, really? Because you are strong, you are brave, you're very outspoken, you bring up subjects that sometimes are like elephants in the room, and you don't mind doing it. Now, it's, no, I think... I- But you know what's funny? I I know there are subjects that are elephants in the room, but how on earth can fertility be a subject that is an elephant in the room? That is really absolutely ridiculous. So all I said was that we teach girls at school and then young women are given lots of information by their GPs on how not to get pregnant and that's really important but I don't think we do nearly such a good job 
in teaching girls and young women and men about the facts of the fertility. I have been involved for more than 25 years with a charity that helps people to conceive. And I also made a major TV series about women in their 30s who want to get pregnant. And through those experiences, I know that a lot of women, I'm not saying all women, but a lot of women don't really have all that much knowledge and understanding about fertility. They've heard vaguely that your fertility declines with age. There's a sort of idea that people put about that, you know, up to the age of 35, you can get pregnant if you just sit on the wrong toilet seat. And then after the age of 35, you could have sex with 100 men in a week, but you still wouldn't get pregnant. So I'm not saying people actually teach that, but there's quite a lot of myth and not enough of detailed facts. Hmm. Some of the things that I have said to girls, young women and men and boys are, you don't need to have a baby in life to be happy. You, You know, absolutely not. But if you are thinking that you might like to have a baby, there are things that You can do, for example, you can even just go to the GP and check your own fertility. Because when I made the TV series in which we followed 30 women in their 30s who wanted to get pregnant, when they did fertility tests, they were actually quite surprised that they thought everybody of the same age had the same levels of fertility Or they thought that if you looked really young and healthy, that necessarily meant you would be more fertile than a woman who didn't look as great as you did. You know, they found that actually their levels of fertility were really quite different to what they thought. They found there were factors that they didn't know of. I mean, a few of the women were significantly overweight And they didn't know that that could potentially affect their levels of fertility. And then because there's people give this information of this magic year, you know, age 35, they didn't know that look at look at some of the statistics for late 30s, early 40s. And look at the difference in your chance of getting pregnant when you look at different ages. You know, I can only speak about myself. I started trying to get pregnant at 42. If I had realized that if I had started two or three years earlier, it would have been approximately twice as easy for me to get pregnant, then I might well have started earlier. I might not have done because another reason that I was able to try and get pregnant in my early 40s was that my job was good enough for me to be able to afford a live-in nanny because nurseries wouldn't have worked for me because of my working hours. Mm. And, you know, when I say, you know, when it comes to having children, knowing and understanding about your fertility is an issue, there are other, even bigger issues, like the lack of maternity rights, 
when I had a baby, I was freelance. You know, I got no proper maternity pay that would have enabled me to give up work for six months. I had no rights anyway because I was freelance. Mm. I was the editor of a programme. And if I'd taken, I'd have had to walk out of my job. So the lack of maternity rights and the lack of maternity pay. And now, of course, it's even worse. People can't afford to find somewhere to live. Those are all really major issues we should campaign about as women. And the other thing I campaign about is the menopause. Mm. You know, I contributed to Channel 4 being the first major media company in the UK to have an explicit menopause policy. And there's another subject that girls and young women are not told about. And so many women I know say that from their early 40s, they started to feel tired and not very well and they couldn't sleep. And nobody told them that your menopause can start in your early 40s. And the information that women are given about HRT is so often wrong. And, you know, I commissioned a program that was presented by Davina McCall, uh, looking at these subjects. And the number of women, and I know a lot of women this happened to, who went to their GP saying they felt awful because they were absolutely exhausted. And instead of suggesting HRT or looking into it, the GP tried to put them on antidepressants. <laughs> and, and, it's a mistake and, losing it. <laughs> that, that, and, you know, that is not, it's something like 10% of women or more, I can't remember the exact percentage, who when they go to the GP with problems that might well be better dealt with, with HRT, are either just told, go away, this is life, you know, or offered antidepressant. And I myself, because of making that film, discovered you can go on HRT later in life, even if you weren't on it. I didn't know that till I made a film about it. And I was waking up every hour to two hours, hot, and then going to sleep, hot, and then going to sleep. And now I've gone on HRT and I've become a president. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. I might just use that another time. Brilliant. Why did you decide you wanted to go into journalism in the first place? Well, it's really shameful. Um, It was my boyfriend of the time who suggested it. I was thinking of being a barrister. And may I say, if I'd been a barrister, I wouldn't need to be a president. I'd be so rich. I'd be (laughs) lying on a beach in Acapulco now. But he said, oh, I don't think you should be a barrister because you won't like being in a court all day. And he said, you're always angry about everything. And you really like people. I think you should be a journalist. I've talked to him more recently about this. He denies saying that he ruined my (laughs) career. I could have been Cherie Blair. Yes, you You could. could. You could could have been there in your dressing gown at number 10. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
But but Dorothy, talking at you, you said the word strong again and angry. Now, my own daughter, who is uh, nearly 30, has lots of issues that she brings up. Uh, one of them is yours about fertility and one is about being pregnant and going to work. But what would you say to the younger women who are now right in the middle of social media. Um, they're exposed to all the things that are going to come back at them. You, you obviously had your time on the table and you were trained to do this, but we aren't trained to do that. We aren't trained to fight back. And what would you say to women now who want to go out and either become an MP or an activist mm -hmm. or somebody who wants to fight a cause? What would you say to them? Well, I think the... The first thing is we need to step back for a moment and say that all these terrible attacks on social media, on women, we've got to all, as women and men, get together and tackle the root causes of them, which is there are major businesses making billions of dollars and pounds, often every month, out of a business model which permits the rampant abuse of women and that isn't on and people have talked about the need for greater regulation and they've also talked about the possibility of imprisoning some of the people who run these organizations which are not controlling what goes out on them but if a woman wants to be an MP you know I would say go for it but yes she will have to be aware that she's more likely to come in for attack on social media than a man is but again I think when women are attacked on social media the police need to intervene more Hmm. And these people often can be tracked down and they should be tracked down and they should get stiff prison sentences because it shouldn't be up to women to protect themselves. I read a lot about, you know, maybe women should come off social media or be more careful what they say or whatever. To me, this is all the same as saying that women shouldn't wear short skirts. Yeah. It, it's not for us to say what we should do about the fact that we are sometimes afraid to take leading positions in society. It's for society to change. And it shows that there's still a strong role for feminist campaigning. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. I love the tweet that you put out. My first day done as president of the terrific Murray Edwards College at Cambridge University. Didn't invade any countries, engage in international catastrophes, or dye myself orange. Few. <laughs> were you were you slightly worried you'd accidentally do one of the one, one of the, <laughs> these things, uh, Dorothy? Well, you get the title president, and it could go to your head, couldn't it? <laughs> I mean, in the case of Donald Trump, it definitely went to his face. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I thought that was a great tweet, though. I really, really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> and have you ever been attacked on social media? Have you been in that position where you've been trolled by yeah, anybody? Well, I was involved in making a film about Michael Jackson, 
and his pedophile assaults on boys. And there is a quite large group of Michael Jackson supporters who cannot bear to face the truth about his crimes mm. because they're such great fans of his. So if you have any involvement in anything criticizing Michael Jackson, you do get attacked. So I have had some attacks there. I was criticized for all sorts of programs I've made. So I'm, you know, I'm used to it, but it doesn't mean it's nice. You know, over the fertility thing, I got really, I did get upset by some of the unpleasantness towards me. And I thought, why are you so angry just mm. because I want to talk about fertility? I mean, you might disagree with me, but why are you enraged? Uh, and and I, I got quite upset about some of the lies. Uh, a number of places said that I had said you couldn't have a baby after 35. Well, I had a baby when I was nearly 45. So why would I have said that? And, you know, I you don't mind people disagreeing with you or being a little bit rude, but I think it's when they are really offensive and when they claim that you said and did things that you didn't. I mean, I've also attacked Andrew Wakefield and anti-vaxxers. And, you know, anti-vaxxers are another group of people who like to go out there and get very rude. But, you know, what you have to say is, on the whole, what they're saying is a sign that they are so seriously misinformed that it, well, it shows the poverty of education about chemistry and biology in our British school system. So you have to look at, well, why are these people so angry and why are they saying it? And on the whole, they're misinformed or they didn't have the right education. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Of all the years, Dorothy, that you have been in the TV industry, we've touched on equality and gender, but you know, we hear all sorts of, read all sorts of stories of gaps in pay for the BBC. Is Channel 4 guilty of that, do you think, as well? Well, I think we've seen that all organisations have a gender pay gap. That is, just to be clear, not that people are paid differently for the same job, mm. but that when you look at the overall pay of men in an organisation and the overall pay of women, what you're fundamentally seeing is that their men are overrepresented in the more highly paid jobs. But, you know, in TV has changed markedly. You know, if I think back my first day on World in Action, at that point, I was the only woman journalist on the programme. If I look now at the fantastic news and current affairs department I left behind at Channel 4, the head of news and current affairs is a woman. The editor of dispatches is a woman. And the incoming editor of Channel 4 News is a woman. The chief executive of Channel 4 is a woman. So, you know, that is such a, a marked change. But some things are worse because so many jobs in television and elsewhere are now freelance, the percentage of women with the right 
to maternity pay is going down. And, and this is why I believe that if we're going to advance as a society, in terms of efficiency, what we need is to say that all women should have the right to proper maternity pay, not just women in staff jobs. The notion that a right should be taken away from somebody because she already has fewer rights, that is, she doesn't have a proper staff job, so hey, let's doubly punish her and not give her any maternity rights. And I think it, it will hold back our economy because more and more people will work differently. I think we have to face the idea that the vast majority of people will be in staff jobs and will stay in the same career all their lives. And, you know, in the past, people often stayed in the same company all their lives. That's gone. So we, we should be looking at the new way in which people work and amending the way that we award rights accordingly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's more and more zero hours contracts coming along for people right across the board, actually, which suits some people. But it, it, it leaves you in quite a precarious position. You're absolutely right. And when it comes to having children, for women, it's different. It is different. I have met over the years quite a number of young women working in TV freelance who have said to me, I want to have a baby, but I can't work out how I can afford to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that is, you know, we all condemned China's one child policy, but you could say that for many women in this country, the UK effectively has a no child policy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're yeah. absolutely right. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah. And you wrote a book, Trust Me, I'm Not a Politician, A Simple Guide to Saving Democracy in 2019. Why did you write the book? You obviously want to make MPs and politicians, you want to make them much more aware of that this is a very important role that they do and they have to speak out. And you somewhere said that you you abhor these sound bites that politicians give. Instead of actually giving a longer speech and a longer explanation, they give quick sound bites. Is that still something that really bugs you? Well, I think that there are two ways in which political discourse in our country has deteriorated absolutely dramatically within a few years. The first is that politicians used to see it as part of their job to appear on television and on the radio giving major interviews in which they were quizzed in depth. And whatever you say about Margaret Thatcher, she did that. You know, I interviewed several politicians who said to me in the past, that just came with the job. Now, politicians believe that, well, I mean, the quote I gave in the book was the press officer of Theresa May, who 
wouldn't let her do an interview for Channel 4 News and said, what's in it for her? <laughs> As if there was, the interview was about what's in it for her. Well, it's about democracy. And you can't have a democracy that is effective if politicians won't be held to account. Every individual member of the public or voter can't meet the politicians, so they rely on the journalists grilling the politicians at length, in depth, about the major issues. But politicians are just refusing to do that. And then the second thing is that in the past, of course, politicians lied, but they also resigned when they got caught out. Now, sorry, politicians are now doing the most awful things and then just not resigning. Mm. And they're lying, some of them, and when they get caught out, they're blasé about it. It's yeah. true. They never answer the question either. I've heard loads and loads of interviews and they just duck and dive the question. They don't answer it. And or they just repeat, Boris Johnson repeats the same answer over and over again. He doesn't answer the question. Well, often they don't even allow the question to be asked. Oh. Hmm. And I think COVID, the, uh, they were not held to account. So it looked like they were held to account because there they were, generally three white men, which made you think, wow, what happened? You know, I thought society had changed, but night after night, it was three white men. Um, and instead of answering in-depth questions from one or two people, those press conferences were so random and scattergun with all different journalists, most of them with no scientific knowledge, asking their own question. So we, the people, never got the, the, the proper in-depth answers to what was happening with COVID. And I, I believe, as I think most people in this country do, that while tens of thousands of people were inevitably going to die because of COVID, Many tens of thousands more died because of the political failure who yeah. did not need to die. Mm. Have you considered going into politics yourself, Dorothy? No. I, I mean, actively. I mean, obviously, you're kind of involved in politics but as a journalist, but I mean, as an MP. Absolutely never. And in fact, the reason that the nuns wanted me to win debating competitions, etc., was that um, they thought I should become a Labour MP. <laughs> and I said, well, I would never want to do that because if you're an MP, you have to go along with things you know are wrong. Yeah. And we saw this recently when a lot of Conservative MPs were forced to go along with that vote about Owen Paterson mm -hmm. and they, they didn't agree with it. And, uh, and I mean, a number of them have said they felt morally trashed by having to do that. And I, I, I'm not saying 
that it's wrong to have collective responsibility. And I'm realistic that for a political party to work effectively, you, you know, you, you can't have everybody just having their own personal view on every subject. But for me personally, I couldn't go along with voting for something that I didn't agree with. So I'm just, it wouldn't suit my nature and character. It's a, it's a very, it's a troubled time, I think, being an MP. And I think it's also a very noble time, as I think you've said before, when you are a politician and you want to be a politician, you go in with the most wonderful beliefs and hopes. And you, the, it, obviously it changes when you're there. But how would you, it's a big question I know, but I, I think for a lot of people, they think that parliament and governance should slightly change and become a little bit more modern. How do we do that? It's a very historic government. Well, I don't have the answer to all those questions, <laughs> but you make a very good point at the start that what is interesting when you actually know politicians is the number of them who go into politics because they genuinely believe, we may think they're deluded, but they genuinely believe that they can make a difference. Yeah. And, and actually a lot of them aren't bad people, but I think it's what happens to them along the way. And, you know, I think what happened about Owen Patterson tells us there's something rotten in the state of our parliamentary democracy. Men and women who really, really didn't believe in something and thought it was wrong, voted for it. And in the end, you can say, we need a Royal Commission into the state of parliamentary democracy but it starts with the individual. Yes, politician, you might sometimes have to vote for something you don't agree with, but never vote for something you know to be wrong. Yeah. And, and, and they do that. And when I do training for young journalists, and actually one of the young women here said to me that she's got a job which is fantastic for when she leaves Mary Edwards. And she said, have you got a piece of advice for me? And I said, yes, here is my piece of advice I give everybody, which is at work, never do anything you'd be ashamed to tell your granny. Love that. Yeah, that is because good. Absolutely love Quite that. often people will say to you, oh, no, it's okay, it's okay, you can do that. Well, the first thing, of course, you should be aware of is when it all goes belly up, you as the youngest person will be the one they dump on. But if you are thinking, oh, this really doesn't feel right, but I'm not really sure. I always say, imagine telling your granny you did it. And, and then you go, oh no, I would be ashamed to tell granny that. But I also say in your private life, you should definitely do things you would never tell your granny. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm aware, I'm aware that we're, yes. we're eating up your time now. And I'm assuming that the gong will be going shortly, potentially. <laughs> the gong, yeah, wherever I go, there's a gong. There's a gong. <laughs> you know, to be fair, 
They only gong when I'm about to eat. <laughs> How did I ever know I'd be a woman with a gong? I wouldn't ever want any other sort of gong. But I think having my own personal physical gong, that is terrific. Well, it's a great, great, wonderful moment. And Dorothy Byrne, it's been an absolute pleasure for both of us to be able to talk to you today. Thank you very, very much. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much, Dorothy. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed. Oh, it's been lovely. I was so looking forward to talking to you. So it's been absolutely wonderful. Wish you all the best for your role as president. really enjoyed that conversation with Dorothy Byrne. She's such an interesting person. She is an amazing lady. She's strong. She's She doesn't take any prisoners. She says what she feels. And I know. Yeah, I she's love, great. love the bit about her having an entrance with a gong. It's a gong. Yeah. I know. I know. She is absolutely hilarious. Although very, very clever, of course. Just brilliant. The kind of person you would want to spend time with. Yeah. So that's all we've got time for in this edition of Women Making Waves. If you know of somebody that you think we should be chatting to, then please let us know. You can, of course, contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves as well. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or you can visit our website, womenmakingwaves.co.uk, where you can hear all of our interviews. See you next time. Bye. Bye.